just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live, and uh, yeah, it's April Fool's Day, and I, I failed on that front. Uh, everybody that knows me well is like, what do you have planned? Because I'm that guy. But no, not today. We're, we're playing it straight today. Uh, just a normal interview to, to help you guys and help me too. You know, and so here's my question to set up today's interview. Um, and uh, great to have you guys, by the way. Chat is open. So, yep, jump on in here. Good to see you guys today. Um, have you ever broken anything? I've, I've talked about it, and I was just telling today's guest how I broke my face, not something I recommend. Um, or maybe fractured something, you know, and, and you got to get that set right, man, because if I hadn't had doctors to fix my face, I would be looking pretty awful these days, no doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, the same is true in our lives, emotionally, spiritually. Um, if we don't put things that are broken back together right, it can create all sorts of problems. We see that. that that's why you're, you know, in therapy as, as an adult, from something that happened in your childhood, you know? So we're going to hit that. And uh, today's guest actually knows a lot about this because she was an ER doctor uh, and is still practicing medicine. And so what do you do when you break something? Yeah, I go to the doctor, man. We're going to talk today about fractured faith, and that is the title of the book by Lena Abujamra. Uh, and I'm excited to have her on the program. So you guys jump in here, be a part of the conversation. Uh, hit like, share, subscribe, follow, all those good things. And Lena... Welcome to Life Today Live. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So let's let's hit the the, the background because I'm fascinated. I'm, you know, I get all these, you know, we get a lot of books and pitches for interviews and things like that. And I was like, an ER doc. Oh well, now that's a whole different level of interest. Give us a little background on your medical experience. Well, I uh, my dad was a doctor, so I was influenced by him, obviously to get into medicine. A lot of a lot of people who end up in medicine may have had some ties in the family and but we are Lebanese. And so the Lebanese community, I grew up in Beirut and so moved to the to Green Bay, Wisconsin, actually. One of the uh, you're in Dallas, I believe. So one yeah. of the nemesis of the Cowboys. Sure. But my you know, we moved there and and uh and I started high school I, I was finishing high school actually. So I went straight to college and and I had a sense, you know, the Lebanese people are very um, into higher education if you get educated. So it's like an all or none, sort of like the Indian community now, uh, very much high value in education. So it was it was non-negotiable that I would get a profession of some sort. And I ended up being in medicine. The Lord opened those doors and and I, I did well in it. You know, I sort of trained to do that. And then I spent, um, I ended up studying pediatrics. Um, my goal was to pick something that would be quick. It was a three-year residency because I really genuinely thought I wanted to serve God. I was a Christian already, and I thought, well, that's a quick residency. I can go serve anywhere in the mission field. I ended up not going to the mission field because I found out you have to actually raise support to go to the mission field. Which is ironic because now we have uh, the biggest portion of our of our well, we have ministry that we do discipleship resources, but we also do global work, and so we do a lot of fundraising now. But at the time, I just wasn't ready for that, and so I ended up doing ER after pediatrics. I did pediatric emergency medicine. Uh, and around that time, I uh, felt God's call to teach the Bible. It came after a season of brokenness. I ended an engagement, lost the person that I thought I would spend my life with, which was not the person I was engaged with. A lot of drama, but out of it, uh, I felt like God didn't deliver on what he had promised. And so worked through that with the Lord, felt the calling to teach the Bible and spent the last uh, really now 20 years doing that. 
uh, formed our or my organization, Living with Power, uh, but a few years into that, but um, continued, always felt the conviction that God was not going to waste the medical tent making is how I view it. So mm-hmm. I've practiced medicine and I also uh, run the ministry. So it's been an interesting course of work. And then a couple, five years ago, I left the ER uh, to do telehealth. Telehealth became a thing, even pre-COVID, I mm-hmm. made that decision. And, and it was really because our work was growing. I started doing Syrian refugee work back in my home country. And now we're actually helping the Ukrainians too. Our focus is on a lot of medical relief and setting up community health uh, educational programs in areas specifically with disasters and refugees. That's our sort of our focus outside of the Bible study stuff. No, which I definitely want to talk about that before I let you go today. But uh, first, let's get to the the idea of of the fractured faith and your approach um, to it. I'm, I'm curious, obviously, with the medical background, uh, what what is it you're looking at from yeah. a fracture standpoint and from a healing standpoint? Well, so this, this story is a very, very personal story. And and, and so uh, as I, you know, I set up a little bit the sketch of, of my history, but back in 2007, nine, you know, early 2000s, uh, right when the phone became a thing and the internet, people started blogging, I started blogging. I was in the throes of feeling God's call on my life. So I was practicing medicine, but really intent on God, what do you want me to do? And one of those things was I was teaching the Bible and I felt like I was went through a couple of moves and ended up in Chicago and searched for a church and prayed over it and ended up in a fabulous church who was on fire for the Lord. Everything about that church was fantastic. And so about three or four years into it, I became the woman's ministry director. So I was actually in the ER working and then by day and then doing the woman's ministry by night. It was crazy. And I started writing at the time in my book, uh, my first book came uh, to be uh, Moody Publishers came to me and asked me to write about singleness. And so it felt very everything that I had dreamed and prayed for had looked like it was converging with that church. And so around 2010, I'd been there maybe four years already. I had just started leading the woman. Things there was started to be stories in the church about the leadership and stories that today in 2022 have become so commonplace. But back then it was sort of new uh, and and basically grew from that small little root of of gossip, what, what was originally touted as gossip, to stories that were real and abuse of power and things that shouldn't be in a church. And I was very close to the fire, so to speak, being mm. in the inner circle. And and so by 2013, the year, of course, my book came out, I had... Yeah, your mic just dropped down. A different there mic. It there it is. And, uh, uh, and, and actually, I don't have any kind of headphones here. So just let me know if I need to fix that. But okay. basically, you go. You're good. I, um, I left the church and I left with what I felt was a leading of the Holy Spirit and what I felt was uh, a conviction of doing the right thing. And, and, and after going through all of the steps that I thought were godly. And I thought that when I would leave by then, I was not I was in the middle of the cycle of people leaving. And and I thought God would prove to everyone that there was rottenness on the inside. <laughs> right. It's so obvious to me by then. And so you can imagine where the story's going. If, if anybody who's listening has left the church, you know that leaving your church where you feel like it is your life, which I think is why this concept of leaving church has become so painful for people. In the last 10 years, we've heard so many stories of that that eventually lead to deconstruction, which is sort of the heart of this. I, um, I just assumed that somehow the, the, rotten fruit would be exposed and the truth would be revealed and I would be vindicated, even though it wasn't even anything specific that I had done and and the very opposite took place. The people that had been my support, my friends, my accountability 
people, my small groups, my spiritual, my the role model, the pastor who I looked up to intensely, who was such a big part of me, wrote the foreword to my first book. It, it, they, they turned their back on me. It was like I was, it was my fault for leaving in essence. And so I found myself in an extremely lonely place. And I'll tell you, uh, one of the things that that is sobering, I talked to recently with a radio host at Moody whose son had died a few years back. And he described a thing that he went through with his church. And he actually said, and I don't, I'm not surprised to hear him say that. He said that losing his son was very, very, very painful, obviously. But he said, leaving his church he, he said it to me on the show, was more painful. And I talk always about the fact that I lost the person that I thought I would marry back in you know 2000, whatever, and who I had been my best friend for 10 years. Now is ex- exceedingly painful, but I don't think it's compared to the pain that I underwent between 2013 and let's say 2019, those years where I finally was able to come to some place of healing. At that point, we didn't have a lot of the language that we do now, even though we now like now what happens you hear about people's stories of deconstruction and people are debating what does that mean and what does that look like what it looks like is what i lived through which is you go through an extremely painful event related to church and to christianity and to what you think is is the church uh, and how it's supposed to be and everything that you believed about this institution this faith that you've built up all these years is put to the test and and so much of it is is evaporates and just this this moment of that turns you into a cynical person that just doesn't want to have anything to do with anything <laughs> related to that. And so uh, you go through the cycle of feeling numb, of feeling angry, of feeling shame, of feeling disappointed in people, in leadership. And then at some point, because you still don't see an out, an answer, you start moving those emotions towards God, which I think is really right. sort of part of this book, which is, um, which I think is at the heart of the conversation of deconstruction that people don't talk enough about. People are caught up with the word deconstruction and what that looks like. And, you know, if you deconstruct, you've left the Christian faith. And I actually don't think that's true. I think deconstruction is this process of going through something extremely painful related to the church that ends up fracturing your faith to the point where you need um, to find out, A, why that happened, and B, uh, where to go to for help. And so, but part of that brokenness doesn't just happen with anger against people, it at some point turns into an anger against God who could have fixed the problem, could have revealed the truth, could have vindicated you and didn't. And that's really the story of fractured faith. So at the risk of oversimplifying what you went through, and and I recognize, I I, I get it. Um, Do you think there's a little bit of replacing God with the church, which is a group of people who are imperfect and prone to hurt you, as opposed to God who is perfect and always, always good. Well, well, no question about it. I mean, I think, I think 2022 comes at the foot, at the tail of COVID, right? I mean, we've had two years of COVID that have really sort of been a testing point for the church. And I think most people who study churches and church attendance and church involvement and the wounds of what has happened in people's uh, reaction to a lot of horrible stories among leadership and churches can attest to the fact that church is not what it used to be before. There's a change happening. There's a shift in the United States. And there's no question that um, there's God and there's this church, but but when you're in a church where the leader is so influential in your belief system, and so, you know, like you can't help but, as so like there's an overlap between the two. And I think one of the good fruits of 
deconstruction. So the reconstruction process, I think the blessing of it, if you make your way back into faith, which I believe uh, is, is hopefully the story for most people. I mean, there's the big stories we hear about people who deconstruct, they stop being a Christian. You can debate until the cows come home, whether they were ever a Christian or not. Right. That's a different right, debate. Right, right. But, but, the, but there's a huge percentage of Christians that are in the church and they go through what I went through, which um, ends up then sifting who really is God and who we've made him to be. Right. And I think that's at the heart yeah of uh, the good news of walking through the road of fractured faith. That's what happened to me. So yep. that today I still see painful stories and hear painful stories and even experience painful events with Christians, but I'm much more able to, well, I feel I'm well able to separate who God is mm -hmm. and who those people are. And, yep. and, and, you know, and there's two levels of responsibility. I mean, even I think back about my years of leaving and how I felt so betrayed. And, you know, there's always these, like, there's been a lot of debate over this, like whose fault is it when this happens? Like, you know, we've got these leaders on pedestals and, and these, you know, just, I just finished watching the docu-series that came out of, on one of the big churches that's going through its thing now. And, and, you know, it's so interesting because you can watch and go, man, the, the signs are everywhere. I think about my church experience. It was a big story in the news back five years ago. And and, and one of the two big stories in Chicago, I ended up going to the other church where another scandal I mean, I've lived through these scandals. <laughs> and, and it's like everywhere I go to church, I'm like warning the pastor. Right. But but the truth of it is it, we allow it. We idolize uh, yeah. the yeah. leaders of movements in the United States. You know, we on one hand, we tout you know the celebrity christianity model and yet it's the people that partially feed it and then the leaders of course drive you know thrive off of it and so the flesh just becomes the main thing then in the name of god and in the name of god you can do all sorts of things and we know that you can look back in history and so i think the the beauty of this deconstruction movement is uh is the purification of the church i really do believe there is a good scenario in it but you got to be careful with the definitions and i think this has been the biggest thing is people get caught up with it i've read a lot of articles by both sides the progressives and the hyper conservatives and everybody wants to give their opinion on what it looks like to that's why i like the term fractured faith because i think at the heart of deconstruction is a fractured faith people who don't have faith don't deconstruct it's just people who have faith that deconstruct right you have yeah. to have faith in order to lose it right and, and i think i think that's really at the heart of it is a painful experience uh, sometimes at the hand of people who have been extremely wicked and given, you know, we, there have been some stories of, of significant abuse yeah. that should be held accountable. And I think, and I think the Lord is bringing those stories to light. And it's one of the side effects has been the pain of the people in the process. But I think out of it, uh, the church may not be as big, you know, but it's going to be stronger and purer. And I found that to be the case in my life, albeit it took multiple years of working through things in order to be able to stand on the side of it and feel the sense of that, the breathing, yeah. the side. I do believe with all my heart, the goodness of God towards me in the midst of the messy church that we all experience and live through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I have a lot of observations that I want your take on. Uh, but before I get there, I want to show people the book again, because people dropped in late and they're like, holy smokes, what is this lady talking about? Because they've been there too fractured faith is the book uh and it's uh i didn't check the date on this one it's yes it's available now so you can pick that up wherever you get books uh and we're talking to lena abujamra um about her experience and uh her approach to reconstructing the faith and see, here's so here's because i'm so <laughs> um with the position my dad's been in um when pastors get in trouble, a lot of them would come to him. So, I mean, I've, I've seen behind this curtain all my life, uh, starting with the days of Jim Baker, 
like how is yeah. <laughs> we were there, right? Um, right. So some some things that I've noticed, and and, and I want to get your kind of take on uh, one thing is the easy the ease with which we can confuse someone who does often speak for God, a pastor, uh, a counselor, an evangelist, any kind of minister. They are speaking sort of on God's behalf. We can make that God's voice and forget that just as quickly as Simon Peter went from Jesus saying, surely you, you know, God revealed that to you to get thee behind me, Satan, any leader can go that quick from speaking for God to really not speaking for God. But yet we tend to oftentimes forget that in the church. Have you seen that? Yeah, look, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, I think it's tricky because there is, I think there is a role of pastor that is given authority and responsibility and leadership that is very biblical. And I think there is an oversight. There is a sense of closeness to God in the pastor role. The problem as we've seen it, I think in the United States in the 2000 to 2020 is that in this last 20 that, you know, the, the mega church decade mm-hmm. is that the church has become so similar to what you would see in the world as this, company, this organization, this Forbes 500 type thing. And so I think the problem is that now you've got these guys who have an empire that they're building. And and really genuinely, most of the people who have fallen dramatically have been people who are, who are not small local church pastors. There is a lot of stuff that happens in those small settings. Yeah, you don't hear about it. Flesh as a human right. flesh, but it's the big you know, we've got a lot to protect here. And so, and so now you can abuse the voice of God as a leader. And I think, so I don't really blame members of a church who have been trained and taught and biblically, if you read the New Testament, there is a sense of submission to authority. I think that where I think the sheep, like the people who are in the pews, like myself, where we err is that we're lazy. We really are. And I think it's a lot easier to go to church on Sunday, hear a word from the Lord that the pastor gives you, sense that it's God speaking to us because we all want the experience. Like sure. like um, Simon in, in the New Testament, who uh, was uh, the guy, the magician, and he uh, mm-hmm. went to the revival services, right? Mm-hmm. And he saw Peter do all this powerful stuff. He goes, I want a part of that. Like we all want the breakthrough. We want, you know, we all want our version of what is prosperity, you know, what is good and happy. And, and if the pastor says it to me in church, your dreams are going to come true. God is going to, who doesn't want that? And so we hang on to the things that make us feel good. And so in that, we are lazy because we don't do the work of spending time with God. We rely on the fact that there's somebody who's saying what we want to hear, and he's a pastor on top of it. Now, uh, so I think it's a dual responsibility. But I think where I think God is purging the church, I think, is is in bringing down leadership that has abused that. And so now you kind of go, well, who's more to blame? And I would beg to say, I think leaders have more to account for. James tells us that yeah. they have more to account for. So if you are going to shift blame, I, as much as I think, yes, we're lazy. Yes, we want, I, you know, we want to lead. We want our kings, like like in the Old Testament. You know, we want a king that we can behold and touch. And but but really, there is a huge responsibility about the leader. And I I hear that as a leader of my own ministry, like a lot will be. I'm going to be held to mm. a greater account than others. And so I think, however the blame is, really. I think the key is to get past it because what has happened in the middle of the muck is that people are just like, forget that. I'm not going to have anything to do with those people. And so that's where deconstruction happens. You go, well, maybe they're all crazy. Let's find our own version of faith. 
Now, where do you go to get that? And where I think the tragedy is, is where we're going in social media. So now we're replacing the old pastor that spoke the truth to whichever you know, has the most follower voice that's telling you, well, here's the truth. And, and we're still lazy. And I found that where the work I needed to do was deepest was uh, in the times, in those years when I left the church and I found myself without any human interaction. Of course, then we hit COVID in, in being forced to finally get in a place, not just of, of quiet. I mean, I live alone. I'm, I'm in a nice house size. I'm a doctor. I have, you know, I have control over my schedule. You know, I have enough, you know, I'm not, I'm not bothered. So there's quiet, but, but the different type of quiet, a heart and a soul quiet that yes. I think is lacking in our culture. Yeah. And until we can get to that place where now in the midst of that, we expose ourselves to God's word, we submit to him. And now, now the challenge, I'll tell you where I found moving out of this dark phase is how do we go back to a place of trusting church leadership? I think this is where the battle is going to be in churches moving forward is you're going to have a bunch of people going to church because they still believe and feel convicted about it. But don't you dare as a pastor tell me what to do because of years of accumulated pain and cynicism. And it's going to be hard to submit to something like a church leadership structure the whole you know church discipline like that language yeah. that's i think where we're going to see a lot of challenge in the church moving forward is i'll be there all right but don't you tell me what i need to do <sighs> yeah oh yeah you're right about that and in, in that kind of is related to another thing that i've observed which is that if someone gets burned in a church um one of the negative reactions is to want to be the uh, the judge, the jury, and and the, the one carrying out the sentence on that pastor or on that church. You mentioned social media. You want to go to just a swill pit of resentment, and I'm gonna, in the name of accountability, I'm gonna bring you down. Yeah, yeah. What do you have you seen that approach? Because I don't like that either. Oh. I don't think well, that no, I have. And in fact, that's why I want to, so in every chapter that I wrote, I took a question that comes up in the journey of deconstruction, like, you know, obvious one, you know, um, where's God in my pain? You know, like, why, why does suffering happen? That sort of thing. But it's very personal, but it sort of has these big questions. Well, one of the chapters is, is God really fair? Because at the heart of it, you're right, is where's fairness here? Like, who's right? Who who says? Who says? I, I mean, I thought the pastor was wrong, but was my opinion better? Was the other? And so there have been these whistleblowers, let's call them, I right. mean, for a lack of a better term. And so the, they've been vilified as the bad guy or the bad girl. And so, but without the voice of those whistleblowers, a lot of the stuff that's been happening would, might not have been revealed. In my church story, that ended up being, you know, the person who was accused as a whistleblower, it's, it was actually an investigative journalist, but that ended up being the person who brought the whole thing down at the end after years of others trying. And by the way, this was years of elders trying to do the right thing, you know, on like all the biblical ways that had happened and eventually the whistleblower, the person who was accused of that. So I, you know, I think it's a complicated question because I'm grateful for that voice now. I'm grateful for even the other stories that we've heard that I have nothing to do with that I've watched. There's always been someone now who speaks up. There is a freedom to speak up because of social media. Woman, the hashtag Me Too movement. Right. While it's scary to some people, I think the blessing of it is we can't hide as easily anymore. Yeah. And honestly, isn't yeah. the point of Christianity not to hide? I mean, isn't the point of us to walk openly, honestly, before God and man so that if we have those hidden sins, don't we want them revealed? And so... I wish we would live in an era where we wouldn't need those whistleblowers. And so now the question is, who's called to do that? 
Yeah. That's where, you know, so you got every joke kind of coming on, chiming in. I think that's where we need to pace ourselves, moderate ourselves. Don't judge before, you know, just just like let God, let God speak. He's going to vindicate. This is five or anything after two or three or four years of accusing God of God, you're not vindicating me. Right. Do you know Psalm 35 became my Psalm? And it's a Psalm where the Psalmist begs God for vindication <laughs> and God comes through for him. And the day did come in my church story where the light was shed on the truth. And then I had people coming to me and going, you know, I wish I had asked you, I wish I had, you know, and I had intentionally laid a very low profile because I felt a conviction from the Lord not to say too much yeah. until the person, the pastor in question was actually disqualified by the elders. And then I felt I was in a bit more place where I could say a little more. And I honestly, that was just my own personal decision. Um, I think in hindsight, it was the right decision. I wouldn't, that was something I don't regret. Um, and I, you know, but I don't condemn those who have spoken up. I think the person in mind that I have has a calling and a conviction to investigate stories. And so if I think that's a unique voice, mm -hmm. but I think, I think we all like to slam mud on one another. And I think, um, you know, and we're all guilty of that in so many ways, honestly. It's not even just big church stories. I mean, I did that this morning. I was watching, you know, I was looking at somebody's stories and I make up, you know, judge this person and that person. I catch myself doing that because it's so easy to do. Yeah. And I think it's ugly and it shows our hearts, I think, and it reveals the sin in our hearts. And and I think, I think this is again the fruit of walking back into a place of faith and 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 a relationship with God of, I think this is how you know you're back in a healthy place with God, where you can see yourself doing that. And instead of just taking more mud and throwing it, you can stop and say, God, you know what? I just did that this morning. I am so sorry. I repent. And I think if we're quick to repent, it's a sign that our faith is coming back to life. So um, I, I realize there are different degrees. Uh, obviously, if there's like sexual abuse going on in a church, right. that's where you're like, okay, this person needs to be arrested and thrown in jail. Right. If right. there's, um, you know, spiritual abuse or yep. an abuse of power in the sense that, uh, you know, the pastor's yeah. not treating his staff well, I've seen that. Uh, right. You know, maybe they're spending money in ways that you're like, that's just That was my church right. story. Very familiar with that, right. Yeah. So um, in those kinds of cases, what should the goal be for the whistleblower or the person in the congregation who's like, I know that's not right and I need to do something about it? Um, well, well, that's a great question. So, so I think, again, it's unique. So it's one thing. There's a lot of churches that have pastors that abuse power, that live largely, and they're okay with it. The elders are okay with it. The members are okay with it. And I don't think it's anybody's there's nothing to whistle blow <laughs> the problem and and where the whistle blowing is when you've got a system like i tell you very simply from my church experience it was a system where when an elder would in their elder meetings on the church this is not a congregational church right so the elders would go to the pastor voice in their elder meetings we have a concern and the solution would be oh okay well you know what you're not an elder anymore yeah now they would boot the elder and and wash down so eventually you had a bunch of elders that were in agreement with what the pastor said that's a joke that's a lie so i think when you get to that place in my church it became easy to identify the whistleblower because or the need for whistleblowing because there was a point where the church went as far as running a video excommunicating three elders that they this that had stood up to the pastor. These are the elders who stood up to the pastor. They had a video, they excommunicated them. That was my tipping point. That's oh. when I said, I need out. Yeah. 
because it was too much. Right. But 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 there were a lot of things leading up to that that someone else had said that's too much. That's too much. To me, I waited until that point, and then you realize there's no accountability here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so now when you've got all these elders who have left going, man, we've they have a responsibility to protect the sheep. So now the priority is well, why? What's the why of your whistleblowing? Because that's always the question. What is our motive? Exactly. And if the motive is to protect the sheep, and there's a system that wasn't placed to protect the sheep is gone. Mm. I think you need some help and whoever, however that happens. Yeah. And I mean, Driscoll, I mean, the Christian today read a thing on Mark Driscoll that was not my church, but very similar dynamic. And I mean, there was eventually, I mean, there were the elders who started the blogs and wrote their stories and they did it because they felt the responsibility to protect the sheep. And still it took about 10 years before the story, maybe more, 12, 13 years before the story came to fruition where, and now everyone goes, how did it go so long? Yeah. Well, because some of that was God's mercy, giving a chance for the leader to repent over and over again. And there was no repentance it's a hard these are hard situations and i think why we talk about them sometimes in specifics like the christianity today podcast is is because i think you can learn a lot from them and i would beg any aspiring pastor not to say well screw that i'm not going on to be a pastor anymore this is horrible i'll just go be a carpenter (laughs) you know no i think on the contrary learn watch and 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 do better we can because we have the spirit of god in us Mm -hmm. and i think as a member, I the idea isn't to say, well, I, well, I'm done with Christianity. I'll hang on to Jesus and forget his church. Well, you can't. That's not biblical. And so are you willing to humbly, and I think it takes sometimes years to get there. So I certainly am not saying this is easy, but are you willing with time as Jesus heals you to say, all right, Lord, I don't get your church. This is really painful, but I'm going to, I'm going to show up. Yeah. It might just be showing up at first, but that's your act of obedience. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think that brings joy to our Savior. Yeah. All right, we got to get to the good part here, and I would caution on that um, rise and fall of Mars Hill. That was uh, there's some things in that that aren't. I'd take that with a grain of salt. Um, I, I appreciate that. Just yeah, because there, there's, and I can't talk about. I don't want to talk about some of the, some of those things, but right. um, just gotta be careful. Bit of a hit piece. Anyway, um, so here's here's the question that for you that I think people need to hear. And that is what was that road back through the pain, through the deconstruction? What was the reconstruction that, that some people, someone who's at that fractured place needs to hear? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I had to hit rock bottom. I had to lose every thing that I hung on to every route of escape that I was planning, you know, and get to a place where there was no one for me. I, I tell the story one, the day where that became the beginning of the turning point with me. I had even gone to therapy, you know, cause I think, you know, at that point I didn't have any good Christian voices to run through. So I, I eventually found a therapist, started going, I remember coming home one day and even feeling like the therapist didn't understand me. They didn't understand my pain. They didn't understand. It just felt like I wasted an hour of my time. And I sat on my sofa and I saw God's word sitting on the table and I had read it. I mean, I was still in ministry at that point. So I was preparing for it, but just felt like God was challenging me in that moment and to pick up his word and read it. And I remember in my heart going like, really, really, that's your answer after all of this, this, and I, and for some reason I opened it and I opened it and I landed on Psalm 22. And honestly, it was not like, I, it wasn't like I had a big angel that says open door. It was, it was just, a, it was a challenge, but I didn't have any other answer. I didn't have a three-step program. I, just, I, I tried. And in that moment of utter 
blackness. I open to Psalm 22, which is the, the Psalm where it says, my God, my God, why, how, why have you forsaken me? Mm. And it's a lament and it's the word of the, of David, but it's really the words of prophetically of Jesus mm. on the cross. And I remember that moment reading them and feeling so understood and seen. Mm. And it was like, there was, it was like, I understood that God didn't, I mean, I don't think God condemns sin, but in that moment, I didn't feel like God was standing over me with a with a hammer trying to shut me up because I've sinned because that was like you carry that when you leave the church you carry like I'm wrong I should have done this why am I feeling these things why am I accusing God of things but instead I found that I had this aha moment where I realized not just that he did that he understood me but in that moment I understood as I read those words I thought those aren't even David's words those are Christ's words mm. and I felt not so like the incarnation of Christ like he walked he he felt the things I did. And I, I always understood that. Like, you know, we teach that. Like, I get it. Right. But there's a moment of freedom that happens when in your darkest darkness, you understand that Jesus also understands that. And it was like I just felt his blessing in that moment, despite the fact that I didn't deserve it, which is really the most flabbergasting portion of grace is that we get what we don't deserve. And his name is Jesus. Well, that's good. That's really good. Okay. And I, I got to ask you this because I said I was going to the beginning, but what you're doing with the medical stuff uh, overseas with Syrian refu- refugees, now the Ukrainian refugees, other places, I, I love, I love it. Because to me, that is yeah. not just preaching the word, it's it's walking it out. That's that's the gospel in action. Um, anybody wants to find out more about that, I'm assuming they can go to your website yeah. uh, at livingwithpower.org. Um, yeah. But just what do we need to know about that? Because I just love that. Well, I want to you know, spotlight it, it, that. It relates, the story relates to fractured faith in that I, when I left it, I was so zoned in to my plan for doing to God, for God what I thought he wanted me to do. <laughs> and it took me leaving the church, leaving this concept of I'm going to be Bible to this way to kind of have a, enough space to say, okay, God, now that's gone. What do I do now? And out of what felt like failure was birthed this redirection of my calling. 2013 is when I left my church. That was when the Syrian refugees started coming into my home country of Lebanon. So, and it took me a couple of years to have prayer. I've somebody invited me to go to Jordan, but because I had now the time and even the interest of saying, okay, maybe I started doing the first medical clinic and then the second and God put the right people around me. They said, we're going to come four times a year. I said, well, I guess I'm coming too. <laughs> and that then, because I speak the language, it grew into the work we're doing now. Now we've got, you can find out all, we do a lot there now and it's under livingwithpower.org slash global. And then how God works is so fascinating. The Ukrainian crisis, my assistant is Romanian. She went to, she did part of her training in Sweden with a girlfriend, like a friend who was like very close acquaintance there who is Ukrainian and in was in Kiev. So mm. literally the day the war broke, I was looking at the map and saw the Ukraine next to Romania. And I, cause I'm like a typical American now. I'm like, I don't know where all these countries <laughs> are. So I see them near each other. And I was like, Irina, don't you know anybody there? And she's like, yes, I actually do. And so from day one, from the war, we were able to start mobilizing. This woman happens to be in, she's a missionary. She's Ukrainian, but is there as the coordinator of 80 church network. And so we have been initially did a lot of the disaster of getting food and, and mattresses and setting up temporary shelters. Now we're moving into providing housing for people who want to stay in Ukraine, yeah. but their husbands are fighting. And so just housing for people who need it until things kind of clarify. So it's been great. People have stepped up and thanks partly to Moody Radio, Janet Parshall had me on the show. She's had a lot of interest of people giving abundantly. And, and we really have been very successful to get funds into the money without any overhead. And so the Lord is merciful. I just came back from Lebanon Sunday, Monday, Monday, two days ago, had a fabulous trip taking care of Syrian refugees and the Lebanese. And so God, you know, that verse in Ephesians 3.20 that you receive 
when you're a teenager of a God doing above and beyond all you can ask or think. Like that verse is so, so amazing. But it's amazing when you're 15 and 20 and 25. But when you get to 50 this year, I'll turn. When you get to this age and you see God doing even more than you ever even thought and imagined, yeah. it boggles your mind. Yeah. And you're astounded that this awesome God who you've just begun to taste and see of his goodness. And so, and I think that's ultimately the story of being a Christian is to see this magnificent awesomeness of our Lord. That's it. Yes. And, and to see it for yourself, not rely on the faith of others to see it for yourself. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said, and, and he may lead you in a direction that you're totally not planning on. Uh, but that ties everything. Cause I mean, let's be honest, a doctor doing medical missions, makes perfect sense but it might not have occurred to you if you're still teaching a class in a church that fell apart right that's right that's exactly right yeah Yeah. and and that's that's beautiful thing i love it i love it lena habijama i appreciate you taking the time to share your story um and i just bless you in the work you're doing we do we've got we were just talking to our mission partners in ukraine yesterday uh and it is a tough situation so i love the fact that you're there and, and you're helping and this is it's probably going to be a little bit of a long-term thing yeah it's a long it's a long journey you know what there's nothing everything takes time and i mean if anyone's listening and they feel like their sense of calling or purpose is like postponed i mean i've learned if anything i am not a waiter like i like things done yesterday and i have learned that god takes his time but he always delivers Mm -hmm. and so hang on to the hope that he's going to come through for you Uh, i love it amen Wow. Great word. Great word on this April Fool's Friday. We're taking it seriously here. We're not fooling around. This is good. This is really good. Uh, so again, thank you. And I'll point people to your website, uh, as well as the book, Fractured Faith. The website is livingwithpower.org. Encourage you to check that, that out. And if you can help, uh, if you want to help her with the work in Ukraine, help Life Outreach with the work in Ukraine, just help. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. We'll see you again next week here on Life Today Live. Thanks for having me. Flowing and abundant springs of grace.